Welcome to Searching the Sacred. I'm Jason Steffenhagen. I'm Steph Spencer. And I'm Lisa Adams. We are hosting conversations about scripture for the curious, doubters, and hope seekers. We're inviting people to ask different questions. Questions asked by those who have been wounded and hurt. Questions asked by those who have deconstructed and are looking for a reconstruction. We're creating space for love, kindness, justice, and curiosity. We will wrestle, we will question, we will dance, we will dream, we will wonder, we will be frustrated, and we will hope. We aren't searching for singular answers or solutions. We are searching the sacred. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to 2022. We are so excited to be with you once again. Instead of diving into season two, we are gonna drop a bonus episode where we talk about beginnings. So today we're going to get started at the beginning with Lisa reading from Genesis chapter one. So I'm going to read from the inclusive Bible and uh, Genesis one, one to five. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but the earth became chaos and emptiness and darkness came over the face of the deep. Yet the spirit of God was brooding over the surface of the waters. Then God said, light be and light was. God saw that light was good, and God separated light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. Evening came, and morning followed, the first day. (sighs) I I haven't read from that translation. Like That's lovely. That that was interesting. I, yeah, sometimes I, uh, you know, we had, we had that episode where we ended on the idea of nakedness and it was like a weird moment after the reading that this one's more like, Oh, day one it makes me feel good. I just want to sit in it for a little bit. Just happy. Well, you know, one of the things that I think is an interesting place to start with this passage is, is knowing that the names of books in the, uh, the Christian Bible is not the same as the name of the books in the Tanakh in the Hebrew Bible. Um, and sometimes that makes hardly any difference. And sometimes it makes a really big difference. So for example, uh, in the, uh, the book that we call numbers, uh, because it starts with this list of genealogies. And when you hear that it's a book called numbers, you're like, well, that's going to be a boring one in Hebrew is called Bay Midbar, which means in the wilderness. Uh, and so the book of the numbers is actually the best place to read stories that people will roaming the wilderness, but many Christians don't know that because the Christian Bible calls it numbers. <laughs> doesn't call That's it so much better, man. Titling is so important, right? Like we're such a materialistic culture, consumeristic marketing culture. If they would have called it in the wilderness, I would have actually read it. <laughs> right. And what's also interesting is even though titles are important, what they title the books in the Tanakh is the first words of the book. So they don't like, they also don't like do some sort of marketing campaign to name it. They just, oh, what, however this book begins, that's how we're going to name the book, uh, which is also kind of refreshing and um, for how it's named. So it also means the book of Exodus is called These Are the Names because that's how that book of Exodus starts, which is an interesting way to think about the book of Exodus. So the book of Genesis is called Bereshit and Bereshit is uh, a debate among grammarians for how you translate it. Uh, and it's the, what, what our translations usually say in the beginning. Is that what yours said, Lisa? Uh, this one said in the beginning. The reason there's a debate about it is because the word reshit, which is beginning, and then bet when it's at the beginning of a word in Hebrew is, is that's how they do like, um, Oh gosh, what's the word? Prepositions. So bet as a preposition can mean in, it can mean at, uh, it, uh, those are probably the two most common. It can mean others. I gotta, I'll, I'll look that up for a second. But what that means is if it's in or at, and then reshit, which is beginning, it means there's not an article in between. So the book, the book of Genesis begins with in beginning or at beginning. It doesn't actually have the word the. And so the question is, how does it affect the way that we read the Bible and the book of Genesis and Genesis one, if the word the is not there? So how does it, when you hear in beginning, or so here this uh, at beginning of God's creating, 
is one way to render that verse or in beginning of God's creating. How's that sound? Does it feel any different? I think it's really easy to say, no, it doesn't feel any different. And it's just, you know, vocabulary and language and like you said, grammatical stuff, like who, who, who's worried about that. But then also I feel a little bit like, well, what if God is always creating and always up to something? And this is saying like in beginning or at, at a big at beginning. So like when things begin, this is what it looks like, or it's more of like a, a, it's more like an archetype or something, or it's more like a, not a formula, but it's kind of giving you a little bit of, this is how the beginning process works. It reminds me a little bit of, um, so I have a tattoo. Uh, my baby sister does tattoos uh, and she was kind enough to do. Well, I was kind too. We were kind to each other. I let her do her very first tattoo on me. <laughs> and I also just want to say, when you say you have a tattoo, can I just clarify that you're you're about to talk about one of your tattoos? Yeah. Just for those. Yeah, okay. I, do, I have multiple. Um, each one is a delightful story. If we, like we ever grab coffee, I'll tell you about them. But in particular, this one. That could be like a whole um, podcast. Like we could do like a whole series on like Lisa's tattoos. <laughs> You well, you could do the same for Seth's tattoos. <laughs> I don't have any tattoos. Jason, do you have I, any behind. tattoos? I, I, oh. I wish. No, I've been <laughs> talking right. about it forever, but I haven't pulled the trigger. Oh, you should pull the trigger. Um, anywho, my so part of the tattoo has it's a it's a circle of dots. So it's these dots that go in a circle around it. And the way that I describe it to people is that it's the reminder to myself that I can always begin again. And so when I hear in beginning that resonates deeply with me in the same idea of like, we all recognize that we sometimes need to begin something or to begin again or to try again. Um, not even in a way that's like everything went to crap and you got like start over, but there's always beginnings. Um, so like for me, it just, like, it just resonates. I like, that's what I feel. When, instead of like in the beginning makes me feel like there is one beginning <laughs> This is where it all started from. It's like the, it's an end, like it's a, it's the end of the line at the front of the line. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, if I make it not the beginning, then it makes me wonder about what well, were there other beginnings? Like what other, like other things that have happened? Mm -hmm. um, like it's very mystical for me, which I, I'm a fan. Well, which then takes us into the possibility of reading Genesis 1 mystically, which because it's written as a poem is sort of generally we like if we're going to read a poem in English, we're probably not going to take the reading the same as when we read a narrative. And so it's this poem that starts with Beirut's sheet and has this process of what it's this ordering that happens when there's a beginning and the ordering starts with this disorder in the in Genesis 1, 2. And you see, and there's this spacious process written out poetically. And, and I wonder how that frees us from ask, to ask a different kind of questions about the book of Genesis. So Genesis ends up being this debate about the order, like the, the timing of creation, evolution versus creation, all of that. But like, what if that's asking questions of the text that the text was never trying to answer? What if the, what if in beginning is even trying to point us towards like, just notice how God is engaged in beginnings. This is the very beginning perhaps, but it's not the only beginning. Notice how this process is happening in your life. Notice Wonder about your own life. Where are you in creation? Are you in more of a day three moment? Or are you in more of a day two moment? How does this repeat? And can we ask questions of Genesis the way we ask questions of, you know, if we study Abraham or the people in the wilderness, we'll ask questions of our own lives. What if Genesis one is also inviting us to ask questions from our own lives? Right. And I think that when you look through the biblical narrative and you see these kind of monumental situations you know the people of israel leave egypt and they're out in the wilderness and they're kind of beginning right to become a people what does it look like when they're beginning to be a people you know what did it look like for abraham to leave his family and to begin what did it look like for mary and joseph to be told this news that they would be you know that mary would be carrying the christ child and like what does it look like for the beginning of 
that experience you know where is their resonance with like you know the kind of the the I don't know, like the shards of Genesis coming through, like there's these pieces that you can start to see resonance um, in the midst of these other stories as well. Because I also think there's a, it shimmers a little bit for me of when I knew that I needed to leave my church job, that was like my full-time career. I was super wrapped up in the whole thing that felt like to me, like the beginning part of it, before we start into like God speaking into creation, but like the thing that's happening in that moment of, um, well, my translation describes it as chaos and emptiness and darkness. Mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. the spirit of God is still brooding over the surface of the waters. That is very much what it felt like for me in leaving that. Like I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know if I was done with ministry or if I was just, like, I didn't know, was I going to be a business analyst or was I actually supposed to be in ministry? Was I, yeah, was I making the right decision? Should I have hung in there and did more stuff? There was like, there was so much unknown and chaos for me. And yet I felt very clearly, like, I don't know if the time I would have called it the spirit, I would have said like, God's with me, but it felt like I, I felt guided I, and I felt seen but only by God, not by people, which was really lonely still. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, like there is something in like, cause that was like an ending that was launching me into a new beginning, but it took a that took a long time <laughs> like that before I actually got to the beginning, there felt like a lot of that water, that time there felt that was probably almost a year of feeling like chaos and dark and uncertain. I think about, I mean, as, as we think about a new year and like new year's resolution kind of stuff that happens in a new year, I think Lisa, what you're pointing to is the way beginnings are versus the way we frame them as being right. We frame beginnings as like, okay, here's, here's the, you know, here's my goals. Here's the whatever. But most of the time, the actual beginning of something is not easy. The actual beginning is lonely. It's hard. It's confusing. And how does scripture give us space to see that and to pause there and to notice before there's any of the rest of this, there is in Hebrew, this is such a fun, uh, I, th I think it's a fun word to say, tohu vavohu is the word. So that's what is being translated as chaos and uh, vac vacancy or um, or wild and waste. I think that I don't have the message down here. The message does a really, it says something like a tumbleweed. Like, do you have anyone have the message translation handy? And if I can find it, I, I like how, I like how Eugene Peterson says it. Um, and I can't remember off the top of my head what it is, but it's like, oh so yeah, I know that feeling. Verse one and two says, first this, God created the heavens and earth. All you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. All right. So how is that the way life feels sometimes? Pretty spot on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I think about like, okay, if the pandemic is going to be a shift in humanity, which it might be like, like, are we ever going to be the same again after this time? When we look back on the story, will we describe this time as tohu vavohu? It was confusing. It was dark. It was, now there might be some things that come of this. I think I have a sense there will be, but is or, or in the midst of it, right? Like even in the midst of it, like, yes, it's empty and void and it's hard and it's painful. But even in the midst of that, there's still these glimmers of like, like touch points of community, families spending more time together and then families having to work through all the drama being together too much. And like, even that can be good, you know, working through some of that. Like there's, there's some good in there. And, and I can't help but kind of to Lisa's point, beginning most often is not the first thing, right? And I think Steph, you're saying that too. It's not the first thing. It's the response to the thing. And Genesis, if we were to translate in the beginning, it's like Lisa said, there's like a dot 
and then time moves forward. But like the traditional Christian belief is that God always existed. So like in the beginning, well, no, there was like God existed. I mean, even the scriptures, if you were translated that way, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but they, like the spirit was brooding over the waters. I mean, like there's something, right? Like there's something about to happen in the thing that's already there. Then, and like, you know, maybe what's already there is, is chaos and disorder, but that, that doesn't, you know, there's no like form to that. And there's also God and God in community. Cause there's this spirit and there's creator and there's all these different words for this and it's a you know plural pronouns right so there's a they and a them involved here and so there's something going on that led to creation similar to my own life when i want to have a new pattern in life well what existed before that an unhealthy pattern or a pattern that wasn't working or a situation that needed adjusting and so it's re- it's recognizing that and then saying, okay, now I'm going to begin with this new trajectory or this, this, this new uh, way of being in the world or, or whatever it is. Well, I, I feel like you're pointing out something we often skip over or like don't think about is we think that the creation begins with let there be light because that's where we read that part, that's day one. But before that point, it's saying the earth and it's the word for earth is wild and waste. And the spirit of God is hovering over the waters which means something exists before light. There's something being called a chaotic earth and there is something being called waters before. So there, so when we think about that at beginning, at the beginnings, there's something here that God is working with. It's maybe a little bit more like a potter with clay that's of unformed than it is somebody like God in a sky with nothingness. Well, it also, it feels like there's a... Um, what's not there is life mm-hmm. right like there's a way that's like what's not there it's not <laughs> or it's not life-giving or life-producing or and that's that's what it feels like sometimes when we're in some of these places like you can't find it's, it's not life-giving anymore whatever the thing is it's not bringing life and those are the moments that we are like we're either forced into a new beginning or we choose a new beginning, um, or we go kicking and screaming into a new beginning. Mm. Um, there's just this, like there's things there, but that's not the things I want to live in and stay in. I don't want to mm-hmm. stay there. It's uncomfortable in that spot. And, and sometimes the uncomfortability is that there's like got to be something more or that like meaning and purpose, right? I think we're, we're all created with the sense that like, we have to be here for a reason. We have to be here for a purpose. And that purpose can shift over time or it can adapt or mold or can become something new. But ultimately like, you know, this is Viktor Frankl's whole idea of man's search for meaning. Um, and I'm not trying to be masculine or, or whatever. That's the title of his book, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, he wrote it uh, after being in a Nazi concentration camp and the endeavor of finding meaning in his life, even in the midst of, you know, the most, one of the most atrocious acts in human history. And the whole point is that we're not here just to be happy, Freudian, but we're actually here to find meaning and purpose with our lives. And so beginnings are a way of, I need to recapture the purpose of why I'm here or find the meaning in in why I'm here. And sometimes that's a response to a meaninglessness, or it's a response from, brokenness or something being disruptive or it could be i'm actually in a really good place but like my life's meant for more than this and like i need to birth something out of love like i need to like my love needs to overflow not just be for me anymore but it needs to be for something more than me and so like what can what can i participate in create what can i birth into the world that's going to bring more light and love and justice restoration um out there and so I think one way of reading what God is up to is maybe a response to the emptiness, but it could also be a response to like God's own passion for like love and generosity that like out of that meaning, you know, there needs to be purpose here and let me bring forth life. Right. I, I feel like you're breaking down the, the, if we break down tohu vavohu and then darkness is, is hosek, that's another word. There's, it's sort of 
maybe if not only three things, but showing us sort of maybe three core things that are a part of this need for meaning. So tohu is a formlessness or an emptiness, right? What, how, there's a plethora of reasons why we might feel a sense of emptiness in our lives. The vohu is more of like a, a waste. It's uh, a ruin. So that has a little bit more like coming out of the, a pain of something if something's been ruined. And then darkness uh, is hoshek. Um, and darkness is, you know, I whenever I think of darkness, this is what I think of. Is I'm going to tell this is my dramatic story of darkness in my life. We just in the modern world don't deal with darkness very much. So we forget what it would be like to have a kind of darkness where you actually can't see. So, um, and which is really what is then being like, there's something here where there's not a way forward because there's no light and without light, you can't have a way forward. So there's, so there's maybe it's that in your life, things feel empty or like, you know, something's not right that way. Maybe it feels more like a wasteland or a ruin, or maybe it just feels dark um, in a way that's not necessarily, um, you know, I think we have to be careful with framing darkness as always a negative thing in scripture of darkness and light. Darkness isn't evil, it's, but it's dark. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, so I had this experience uh, when I was camping once where we were at this campground and, um, it, and I was pregnant with my first child. And so camping always has a little bit of extra dramatic feeling when pregnant, in my opinion. So, so we were at a, a hike-in campsite and we were um, uh, in the hike-in campsite, we were told this sort of shortcut you could take where there was a parking lot on the other side of a little stream that was really close to our hike-in campsite. And so if we just put our stuff over our head, we could hike from that parking lot across the stream and get up with our stuff pretty quickly and not have to haul our stuff quite as far. The only trick was you couldn't park in that parking lot overnight. You could only park there during the day. So we parked in that parking lot and then like hauled our stuff across the stream, set up camp, uh, had, uh, had dinner. And then we're like, oh, we should probably move our car. And so we decided to move our car to the parking lot of the camp, uh, state park. I think we were in, and we had like, I think it was a mile and a half walk to our campsite from the parking lot. And as we're walking there, we realized the big flaw in our plan, which is that we had not taken this path before, which means we did not know the way. And the sun was setting rapidly and about a half mile in to our, like way before we get to our campsite, it's like pitch black dark. We brought a flashlight, but the flashlight battery died. And I literally had a moment where I was ready in my, in my dramatic pregnancy moment. I like literally like, was like, I just need to sit down under a tree and sleep under a tree and hope I don't die by the morning. Cause how are we going to find the campsite? <laughs> um, but it really, I've never been so aware of the need for light and how, and how, what darkness meant in that moment was I couldn't find my way to where I needed to be. Like the darkness was, it, it was just dark. It was a time for other people who were where they were supposed to be, to be asleep. So it was valuable for them. But for me, I could, the dark meant I, I, I couldn't move. I was frozen and I couldn't find my way with, because without the light, I didn't know where to go. I love that you're reframing the dark for us because I think you're really doing something really valuable and taking us out of this kind of, I guess, Platonic, right, Greek way of understanding things, which is like opposites, right? There's light and dark, one's bad, one's good. There's in and out, there's up and there's down. And like, we know there's like, like one thing is valued more than the other. And whereas there's other framings, which is what you're kind of naming, like the dark has purpose, it has intention, it does something, there's value in the dark. Um, the dark isn't called bad, right? There's not like this naming of the dark as evil. Whereas, you know, in, in our culture today, we, we often just jump to that. You know, I was listening to a podcast uh, not too long ago because every Christmas season, I, I listen to a few different podcasts that have been recorded like different Christmases. And one is Alexander Shia talking about the Celtic understanding of the Advent season. And in that, he talks about the Celtic understanding of the tree that we now would say is like a Christmas tree, but it has its roots in the earth, its trunk, which is kind of uh, like the representation of humanity on earth, and then its branches up into the heavens. And the idea is that 
the 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 roots are in the deepest dark and they're not evil they're actually bringing forth the best resources so that we can figure out how to use them well so as we aspire to the best of what god has given us to do and so instead of it seeing as like well there's bad and there's good and we need to embrace the good it's we need to figure out where like what the dark is is telling us and it's telling us there's potential it's telling us that there's something here that we need to do something with. You know, when you sat down or wanted to sit down on that path, you had all the potential in the world and you just needed to find a way to use it to get where you needed to go. It wasn't that the dark was evil, it's that the dark was illuminating how much potential you had and how much you needed light. And so uh, I think it's really helpful for us to not always see darkness as like the thing that's wrong, but this, this space, that we're actually given to appreciate the light or to let light be birthed. And it can be scary. I mean, I was scared. Of course, of course. But it wasn't bad. I was just like, oh, how am I going to get to my campsite? We did. Thankfully, we had a dog with us, by the way, for the <laughs> that the dog found the way to the campsite and we followed our dog. So Unbelievable. <laughs> thank God for dogs. I mean, I think what you're pointing to there, Jason, is then where there we see the last part of verse two. So we have this, there's some sense of emptiness. There's some sense of like ruin, which is more of a pain in the emptiness. And we have some sense of darkness. So some sense of like, there's potential, but there's not an ability to see. And maybe a, something needs to, is ready there. And then over all of that, the spirit Ruach of Elohim is vibrating or hovering over those waters. And so that word for vibrating or hovering is one of my favorites. If you're, <laughs> I, I tend to like move <laughs> we're in person with us, but it's, it's Rahaf, which in Deuteronomy 32 um, verses uh, 10 and 11, it talks about, it, it's framing, it's using the metaphor of an eagle for God. And it's as an eagle stirs up her nest and Rahaf over her young. So it's the energy or the idea, and, and Peterson did this with his message translation as you read it. The, the verb there is that the spirit of God is, is hovering or vibrating over all of that, the way a mama bird vibrates or hovers over her young. There's something to be protected here. There's something that's ready to come forth here. And I, mama bird God, am here right, right with it, right in it which takes me back to what Lisa said about like, I felt alone. As you said, you felt alone in leaving your job, but God was there. And you felt like God was there, even as it was painful and hard. And how many of us have had that experience where it feels like there's a spirit of God rahaf over us in those moments. I think that's really beautiful because it also points out that if it really is like a hovering over this thing that is really loved, that thing isn't the problem. That thing may need to be recreated. It may need to be worked on, addressed, but it's not, that's not the problem, right? So not to like talk about Lisa's life, but like Lisa herself wasn't the problem right? There were circumstances that maybe needed adjusting, changing, maybe something needed to end and something new needed to be born. But it wasn't like there was this spirit of saying like, well, you need to end. But it was like, no, there's something, there's something in this that is so beautiful that something needs to come out of it in a different form or fashion or a different way. Well, and, and maybe even to that note, those, those three things named of the, the, the darkness the earth and the waters that are named in verse two come back into play in every day of creation after this moment. Darkness is there in day one. Waters is there in day two. Earth and waters is there in day three. Um, we Darkness is back in day four. Then we have waters in day five and we have earth in day six. So if you, if you discard those things in verse two that feel chaotic and empty and scary, then you don't have anything to work with for all that's to come. All that's to come is going to be birthed out of those things. So they're needed. 
something about right now is not their full potential and God's going to, the new beginning is coming, but it, the new beginning doesn't discard the old, which I think that's so I, I, um, <laughs> a little, I might say something a little dangerous. It'll be my turn to kick at the tires of heresy a little bit here today. I think I get a little irritated with the way that Christians take some of the ideas of amazing grace and make it our theology of like, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see because it tends to be a binary way of thinking that discards the past. My life was bad, but now Jesus where what I really think we're called to do is continue to integrate our lives and say everything that has come before is a part of what's next. Everything can be redeemed. Everything can be used. Everything's a part of who we are. Even the pain, the pain is something we need to process. The gifts are something we can continue to bring forward. And there's a difference in that sort of was blank, now blank. And I'm continuing to integrate. I'm continuing to grow. I'm continuing to become. Feels like a much more holistic theology and way of being in the world that maybe Genesis 1 is pointing us towards. Well, we're always, we're holding more than just one storyline. So like that was my career. <laughs> like there was a, but like, that doesn't mean that like my marriage wasn't in that, like my marriage wasn't in that same spot. Were there times when I would say my marriage was in that? Yeah, for sure. So like, it's an interesting, like there's multiple space, like we're layered human beings. And so part of our lives can feel like it's in that space. And another part of our lives can feel really, like really good. Um, there are times when our faith feels like everything's great and it's the career that's going. And sometimes, and sometimes it is. Um, a lot of things all at once. I have a really hard time with um, what I call rose-colored glasses or like maybe optimism <laughs> in general. Because, like, Lisa, I, Lisa calls herself a realist. I call her a pessimist um, <laughs> in, yes. in the best, most loving of ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did, there's just a real, there's a real to it. So yeah. I can look back I can look back on that leaving and I can go, oh, that feels a lot like, like a wombing space. Like I just, like, I like had to kind of start over. And so it was like that dark watery space is like a womb. And so like, there's, there's a beautiful growth in, in a womb space. That's not scary. It's actually that like tender and caring and protective, but I will tell you that never in my whole experience of it, did I ever think that that's what it was. So like my perspective looking back could be like, oh, it's so great. But in the midst of it, it didn't feel like that. And so I think it reminds me of like, there's just, there's lots of different perspectives of like where, how we're seeing things, where we're at. And like that multi-layered, like it's just, it's super complex. Like this, this has this template where we can find ourselves in and just recognizing like everything's just super complicated. Like you can boil it down to the smalls and metaphors that we try to like link into and like life is complicated. And and what if the, it, what about the times when the tohu vavohu stage feels like it lasts for years and the light is really slow to come? Right. And, and I think if we're moving away from binary thinking, good, bad, right, wrong, you know, blind, see, right, lost, found. I think we can hold that something can be both awful, terrible, should never have happened and never happen again. And after I'm away from it, after I've moved into this new season of life, this new space, I can look back and say, if I've integrated what happened to me, if I've done the work, if I've processed, if I've whatever, gone to therapy, I can see how that shaped the person I am now and it's informed the work that I do. Like, and I, I'm always really sensitive about this because if you're in the midst of that, everything that I'm about to say is going to come as like, it's going to feel like a dagger and like, I don't mean it that way, but I, I once had a student who, I mean, trauma after trauma with her life, um, 
you know, how she viewed herself, how she went through relationships, um, just experiences that, you know, from like childhood that were just traumatic and, and should have never happened. And it was so painful to be on this journey with her. And, and yet, after she graduated, she wanted to get a master's so that she could go and help young children that were experiencing similar things that she went through. And, and she's even said like, you know, not that she's like, I'm so glad I experienced that, but because I experienced that, I now want to do this really redeeming work and make sure that kids are getting care quicker and healthier so that they don't have to be in college and go through what I went through. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful, redemptive work. And, and yet no one would ever wish upon her what she went through in order to do that redemptive work. And so how do we integrate and begin again and encourage that beginning without encouraging or, or making okay, the things that happen to people or the losses they experience? You know, you always hear people talk about, like, I've learned to understand, you know, God in a deeper way, uh, because I've experienced this loss in my life. Well, no one would ever say like my significant other getting cancer was like a good thing. Of course it wasn't, but because you went on that journey, you've learned more about yourself and about God and about relationships and about love and about how to show up for people in grief. And like, you are doing amazing things with what you've learned, but that doesn't mean that what happened was okay. It doesn't mean that it was good. It doesn't mean that it was you know, something that people should want to experience. And so I think we have to be able to hold that both and as opposed to the, you know, well, it's all good now. And therefore the past has to be good too. Because I just don't think that's the case. It makes me think about this, the way, I mean, it's using the language of the earth, which we talk about grounding as a valuable practice. And I wonder about like, if, if it's just the need to ground in the life that is ours and not wish for someone else's life, but to ask how our life can be integrated. Um, and to then leave space for other people's lives to be their lives without projecting our theology on them, without projecting our discomfort of pain, but just to be with them and whatever their life holds and allow them to be integrating their life as we integrate our life. Instead of like, sometimes it feels like people feel like they need to defend God when someone's going through suffering, which is not helpful for someone in suffering, but right. it's, some of it's maybe the difference between our work with our own life and other people's work in sitting with us as we try to have beginnings in our own lives. And that the role of sitting with is different than the role of doing that work ourselves and integrating ourselves. Lisa, you look deep in thought. Oh, I'm, my brain is going out of different places because I was thinking about, yeah, like nobody else can, there are very few people who can say, oh, look at the light. <laughs> like there it is in your life there. You should pay attention to that. Um, it's such an intimate space that we know about, but I was actually thinking about, um, I don't even know who said it. I, my life right now is like a blend of so many things. <laughs> Somebody said something and it felt new to me in a way that I was like, I don't think this should be new. But the idea that death is not the worst thing that happens. Like there's so many points in my life where I'm, you fight for a life, right? Like there's like people's, the way you eat, the way you exercise, the things you do in your life. Like we're always looking for like longevity and um, curing everything. <laughs> Uh, my one sister talks about wanting to live to be 120, um, <laughs> which is a whole other thought. And, but the person said it with just this matter of fact, like, that's not the worst thing. I don't fear death. And I was like, well, huh, that's a different way to inhabit our lives, to not like, and they didn't say it in a way of like, oh, it's heaven and like gold streets. And like, that's usually the thing that my faith traditions have taught me, or like I can hear my dad talking about what happens when you, after you die. Um, but in a way that like, we don't know, well, I feel like I don't know exactly what happens afterwards. Like, I don't, I don't have proof of what happens, but there's just not a, and that like there's something that was like freeing for me because I think my brain just 
really thinks about like worst case scenario is death, like all the different horrible ways to die. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was just trying to think about like different times of like, when do you, if you take like death off the table, if you take off the worst fear, what then happens? Like what, what are you free to do? What do you, how do things move? I don't know if that has anything to do with our study right now, but that is what I've been thinking about. Well, I mean, maybe I mean, this might be a stretch, but I, I think what I see in this process of creation is, is God having a non-anxious presence about what's coming forth. And that feels like a bit of what you're pointing to, like, how can we like take each moment of the progress for what it is and not rush past it, but like just see it and be in it and not, not rush to the next thing, not fearing something else. But that to me, that's a part of how I see the unfolding of this is that God's not anxious. So like, even like day two, we stopped before reading day two, but it cracks me up when I think about so many people grew up with flannel graph kind of things of days of creation and like, okay, I know like there's light and there's, but nobody, nobody can name what happens on day two of the flannel graph because day two is this day that all it is is space day two is this God, God hammering this firmament between the waters. Cause then in the ancient world, there's this understanding that the sky is made of water. That's why it looks so much like the water of the earth. And so that God made a firmament to separate water from waters is the concept of day two, um, which nobody knows how to put that in a picture. Cause what, what, what is, what is it space? But, but that day in particular to me feels like this non-anxious creator saying it is valuable to take a whole day just to create space. There's room, you know, the life will come. <laughs> like, I feel like we would, we tend to rush through and that's part of that false optimism thing, right? Oh, it's darkness and chaos. Let's get to the, let's get to day seven as fast as possible where it's filled with life and everything. And God takes like the slow roll of like, oh, light. Oh, look at that. That's good. Let's pause there. Oh, space. Let's pause there. Oh, hope. We talked about that in a previous episode. Let's pause there. Plants. Let's pause there. Sun, moon, and stars. Let's pause there. Like we're going to get into day five before we have any animals. Like I feel like if humans were creators, we would get to animals way sooner than day five (laughs) because we would be afraid that if we take too long, there won't be animals or like, I don't know there, but there's this way of just that slow roll feels that like such a witness to us of like how to live. Like, don't, don't be afraid of what's coming. Just be in what's here. See it, experience it, see the good that's here and then take the next step. It'll come when it's time. This could have been written that a guy just did the whole thing in one day. Yeah. Totally. Like, like just boop, 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 boop. <laughs> if he can speak it, if God can speak creation into being, then God can speak it as fast as God would like. Right. Like this whole thing could have been a finger snap, right? It could be much more like a Thanos moment and uh, all the rever- reverse of the Thanos moment. <laughs> um, Which they do in the second movie. No, you were good. You're good. You were you were doing well. It's nice been job. out long enough. All right. It's fine. So, totally. so totally. but right. But to say, okay, that's not how the story is being written. The story is being written with patience and process and each next step. And even with that finger snap sort of idea that when we're in day three and there's plants, there's this idea of the earth bringing it forth, which means God's not creating like full grown oak trees, but God's creating seeds that the earth is nurturing into plants. Like how long did day three take if it's not done until there's plants with fruit with seeds in them? And all God said is let the earth bring it forth. Day three is probably like a hundred and some years long. And that's if we're getting scientific, right? I mean, if, right. We're, if we're diving back into the science of it all and pretending like the Bible is a science textbook, trying to explain the beginning point of time moving forward, then yeah, we, we can do all that. And, and I think that if, even if we were to do that, what you're pointing us to is that if you want to get scientific with it, there's something miraculous going on and there's a patient God involved in this. Mm-hmm. Now, if you step out of the scientific side of it, and you get into the more, say, metaphorical, mystical side of it, there's a patience that you're pointing us to. There's a God who is both initiating and then also stepping back and letting things happen. And creation itself has this autonomy to 
bring forth life and to interact and to mingle and to to do what it's like designed to do in a really beautiful way and a in a potentially destructive way right i mean we we know that the plant kingdom and the animal kingdom doesn't always just like cozy up to each other you know and and some plants are harmful to other plants and some animals eat other animals and like there's just you know it but it exists and it it does its thing and ecosystems work well together you know because they're supposed to and yeah there's something beautiful about that well, and one of the ways to understand what's happening in day one with light is that that's why everything can take the slow roll afterwards is because God has taken God's spark of divine light and placed it in everything. And so yeah. now there is this ability for, for those, for all of the things that have the image of God in them to now live that out because of the spark of divine light that is there in all, in all. Um, and, and that's way, like, cause one of the things we got to wrestle with, with day one is what the light is because sun, moon, and stars isn't created till day four. So this isn't the sun, moon, and stars. This is some other kind of light that is here. And maybe that's a part of what's happening is God's like, I've given you the light, the light's in you start, start doing stuff. I'm going to watch. Yeah. I'm going to be patient to see what happens. I'll speak sometimes to bring out the next thing but I'll only speak when it's needed. I'll, I'll let, I'll let you keep unrolling. Yeah. And I, and I think that again, kind of draws me into that whole idea of like that Celtic idea that there's not a good and a bad, like a, a, a you know, evil to be avoided and, and good to, to go towards or, or to arrive at, but instead it's like the integration piece that you talked about. Like there's something there's the resources of the earth and the waters and uh, all these things that give us the opportunity to spring forth into life. And we need to figure out how do we integrate as opposed to uh, simply run from or to avoid. And again, not to say that there's not some things in our world that are necessary to run from or to combat or to be against because there are certain things that we would not wish upon anyone, even our enemy, right? But like, there is a need to integrate and to figure out how do we move forward. I mean, when you think of light, what do you guys think of? It's a feminine noun, which is sort of fun. So Ruach in the beginning, the spirit is a feminine noun. And, and light is also a feminine noun. Earth is a feminine noun. It can be dangerous territory to play with masculine feminine, but I'm just going to throw it out there because <laughs> um, sometimes it means something, sometimes it doesn't, but so it may or may not, but light is, it has a feminine noun to it, but the, all Hebrew words come from verbs. So we think God says, let there be light and there's light, but the verb at the root of that, both, both the verb and the noun is or. And so the verb is to become light, to shine, to be illuminated, to light up, uh, to, to break, um, like, like breakthrough kind of break. Um, and I don't know, it makes me wonder, like, what is that feeling when something becomes luminous, when there's a break of the day, when something shines, like, what is God placing into creation? What I think of is that in order for light to really be light, it requires the darkness. Because otherwise, I mean, if you, if you shine a flashlight at the sun, you don't see anything different. It's, it's just, an, you know, if you sh it doesn't make a change. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't illuminate anything. So like, there, like the darkness is required for light to be light. And when you're under the light, when you're in the light, there's nowhere to hide. And so there's like an honesty and, a, and it almost requires a humility because you're being fully seen in the light. Something that we don't always notice in verse four is that, so God, so verse three, God says, let there be light. There was light. God sees the light that it is good. And God separates the light from the darkness but God never gets rid of the darkness or calls the darkness bad to your point. God sees the light that it's good and separates the light from the dark. So that there's space for both. 
but never dispels the darkness or gets rid of darkness or calls darkness evil. And in fact, starting on that day one, there's evening and there's morning the first day. So their, their evening is a part of the process of each day because there's room left for the dark. Well, also there's this divine light that's in and around everything. I have a hard time picturing light without thinking about like sun and moon. Mm. Like even thinking about, I don't think of day or evening without sun and moon. And I like, like the, what do you say? The breaking of the day. Mm -hmm. Like I, one of my favorite things that happens is like at this time of year, there's if I'm out of the door early enough, I get to see a sunrise and there it's like a, just, there's a close like landscape next to me that we're like, if it is, you know, one of those like pink, orange, <laughs> purple, like you just get the most magnificent sunrise. And like, for me, that doesn't feel like that feels like some sort of like, I think I've also spent some time to a lot of the um, monastic women in the church had visions mm -hmm. and then they were made into illuminations. So I'm also thinking about like what it means to take somebody's words and then make it into, like you can visualize it, you can see it. And so it feels like there's something in this, like, I don't know, like I can't, if I, I can't take the sun out of it. But there feels like there's something in there, but I don't know quite how to put words around it. Yeah, well, but like you, like I think the word vision and illuminating is a good word for that. That's there's something more than just sun that's a part of something being an illumination or a vision, or as Jason said, like something where we feel really seen, like light allows something in someone to be seen. Well, that becomes again more than physical light. But what you added that I also love is sometimes we picture this as like black and white, which again is like a binary, like dark is black and white is light, which becomes particularly problematic when we're thinking about racial things and how we tend to say darkness is bad. Like there's many people of color who've been harmed by a binary reading of light, good, darkness, bad, because we think of light as white and darkness is black. But what you just pointed to is how many colors are inside of light. Light is actually a full spectrum of color, which we see at sunrise and sunset, but light, you know, that's, that's how we get our colors is all the colors come from light. It's the spectrum of color. And like, that makes me think, what if God said, let there be color? Like, what if that's a part of how light, what light is? And does that change how we see things? It was just dark. And now there's the full spectrum of colors that are here because there's the full spectrum of light that's here. So this is going to be like a total aside, but it, it reminds me of that moment in The Wizard of Oz mm -hmm. when Dorothy steps out of the house for the first time in Oz and there's actually color and it's the first time they ever had color in a movie ever. And suddenly it's and it's like the most like vibrant color. And I remember my dad introducing that movie to me and being like, this was the first movie that had color. And so, you know, for the first half hour, it's just black and white. And, it, you know, you're like, okay, this is fine. And then all of a sudden it's just boom, you know, and it's like, wow. You know, like even as a kid who grew up watching color movies and cartoons, still that moment in Wizard of Oz was just illuminating and beautiful because you had gotten so used to watching it in black and white. And now you're watching it in the full array of, of color. It's just, it, it it's exponential in its and what it does, it is, a, you know, it's just beautiful in that way. Right. I, I love, and you use the word illuminating there naturally, because all of a sudden you can see more. Like, I think that idea, I think that's a great visual of day one. Like, what if this is like Dorothy stepping out of the house in Wizard of Oz? Things were sort of had that chaotic darkness to it, but now you can really see the full color of everything that's here. And that, how that releases the potential of what could be here as you see the full color of it. Oh, I see now that that's green and that's blue and that's gray. And this is like, oh, okay, okay. Here we well, go. There's or, a movie, I, go ahead. There's, there's a movie called Pleasantville and yep. it's got that similar thing happening where everything's all hunky-dory and fine and perfect and amazing and it's black and white. And then all of a sudden there's like tension and love and hardship and pain that gets brought up. And suddenly this tree starts to have like a pink flower on it. And like the more that things get muddy, 
the more that it turns to color and it's I think the overall and I haven't seen the movie for a really long time but like I think the overall message is that like you actually need to muddy stuff up and you need to like get in the dirt and like you need to figure this out and work through things in order for the true essence of this to come forth in order for it to be like fully what it's meant to be you have to get honest and 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 to really start to work through things and so I just I loved that visual idea of it yeah fun fun fact that was Kirk and my first date was going to see Pleasantville in the theater so I actually have very strong although it was also like not an unofficial first date I had I had made a commitment not to date anyone because I was in that realm of the angelical world and he asked me to a movie but it was a Tuesday so I was like that's not a date on a Tuesday <laughs> um and <laughs> You guys weren't courting yet? No, that's that's going to take us down a long tangent. But we went to see Pleasantville. Oh, and Lord. yeah, that idea that of like the black and white was actually not the full potential. There was there was some color to come. Or what I was thinking about for myself was I love to paint. And one of my favorite moments of painting actually is mixing the colors. It's not a painting yet. There's so much to come, but it all begins by mixing the colors. And when I feel like I get that right color of deep burgundy that somehow is in like, I have almost the same color of burgundy in like all of my paintings, but I'm not even consciously doing it. It's just like one of my colors. And when I get that color and I feel like, oh, that's it. Then I know I'm ready to paint. And I wonder if that, if this light is almost like God getting the palette ready, like the painting is going to come and God's mixing all the colors of, of what's to come. I've never thought of it that way. And I'm like feeling really like, I'm like, excited about because I know that feeling as an artist of mixing the colors so that if this is now it's ready and what if that's what's happening with the light so I'm going to dive in another piece of pop culture just for the fun of it because we're kind of on this tangent with like art and creativity and pop culture and movies and whatnot so the Beatles documentary has come out and it's this eight-hour thing on Disney plus and Peter Jackson has all this footage from this session that they did this this creating an album towards the end of their career and at the beginning of the documentary i'm not trying to spoil anything for anybody but you see john uh paul mccartney tinkering with his guitar and he's writing the song get back and he's he's working it out and it's this really rudimentary he's he's just kind of playing and trying to figure it out and trying and then all of a sudden it becomes a little bit more and it becomes a little bit more and what was magical about it was you're watching one of the musical geniuses of all time come up with one of the most recognizable songs of all time. And it's both like instantly inspirational and instantly like just, oh my gosh, there it is. Like he's got it. Like he's doing it. But also he's like tweaking it and working on it. And then he brings the rest of the band into like, hey, I got this song. Like let's do this, like, follow me. And then they're like, well, what if we did this? Or let's think of the lyrics. Like, what if the lyrics are this? What if the lyrics are that? And like, there's like four iterations of the song and the lyrics and all this change that happens. And it keeps getting like turned over and turned over and recreated and recreated. But it, it's always becoming this thing um, that we now have, right? As the song Get Back. And yet you could see it in the beginning, but you knew it wasn't ready yet. And you knew it wasn't done. And it just had this organic feel to it, but also this magic moment too. It was just, I don't know, it, it kind of perfectly describes creativity to me um, when I watched it happen. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's it, I feel like we're getting playful with God and playful with beginnings to say, okay, let's be real about that tohu vavohu darkness. Like it, it can be rough for a while there. And then what if if we and God start to play, what if it's like, we're in a band with God <laughs> and like, okay, here's some sparks of light and color. Like, let's start playing with that. Right. Like what if God's Paul McCartney and we're the rest of the band, or I don't know how you want to keep that metaphor going forward or when it starts to die. Right. I'm pretty but sure the Beatles did think they were God at one point. So this, this analogy will work pretty well. <laughs> but like, but what if it's more collaborative than we think it is? Like there's a voice that's directing, but there's also room for us to play. And I feel like that's what you see in the way the creation narrative is written again with this idea of how God is speaking, like, let the earth bring forth, let the water swarm. Like there's this way that it's collaborative as a, at the same time as directed 
and that it's sort of playful with the light that's already there and kind of saying, okay, let's, let's, let's work together at bringing something forth from here. We've got some good material to work with. Let's see what kind of beginning can come. Lisa, well, that we, made you smile. Started, <laughs> I like well, that. <laughs> we started out the conversation about it being about beginning, but then we kind of morphed into the being about creating mm-hmm. and some of the, as I've had to like work on um, putting words to my theology of like, what do you actually believe? And trying not to like, I'm not trying to base it on all the stuff before, but like what actually seems to resonate for me. I talk about that. I feel like, I do feel like co-creating with God is part, like that's, that's how I see it. I think God invites us to co-create with God, not not that God's doing everything and we're just pawns to it, um, but that we get to affect things and change things and have agency. And, but I also have, have named that my, like God and I have a new language with each other. And so I, I use, I, I think God winks at me. I think God sighs with me. I even think God swears a little bit. Like, I think God gets it when things are really frustrating. And so like, I just see God as intimately in it. And that works really well for me. Like I've had to move from like God as like father in charge, omnis. I had to move away from that a little bit and just kind of go like, I, that's not how I experience God. I experience God. Like I experience him in a wink and a nudge. That's how I experience God. And so that makes me smile when I think about like creating like these stories. And I will also name, I don't like the Beatles. <laughs> I There's always I one mean, in the group. Just I mean, just like, of course, we're going to talk about the Beatles. <laughs> I, I really grew in my respect of them when I realized just how, how much they created and how short of a period of time across a plethora of like, I really respect them regardless. I like some songs better than others, but I'm like, oh boy, these, these were some master creators. But I, I love what you said, Lisa, about, because I, I feel like you're pointing, I feel like at New Year's, and beginnings, what you're pointing to is, is the way that it tends to be again, a little bit more binary for how people think of beginnings than what you just said. So either we tend to be the like goal setter, new year's resolution types of like, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to charge ahead. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to push. I'm going to, here's my resolution to change. Or we tend to be people that feel like God does everything and we just need to wait. I'm just going to pray on that. I'm 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 going to see where God speaks to me in a way that what you said is saying, it's what if it's neither of those things and a combination of those things to say, God and I are creating my life together. And that's what the beginning of Genesis says is beginnings are co-creating. It's me sort of noticing my own life and what I need and what my gifts are and what I see and God coming alongside that and saying, okay, I'm going to speak this. Now go play with that for a while. I'm going to wink at you because I think you're on the right track. Um, You know, what do we, how do we co-create our beginnings with God as a framework for what, how we hold our beginnings that is neither sort of this non-movement of prayer, nor this like overly modern Western resolute, I'm in charge of my own life, but it's a little more patient, a little more playful, a little more accepting of what a co-creating process is. Maybe the new year's resolution is to like have day two where you create space to recognize that like something is like being birthed. Um, something is needing to be created and then you need to like slowly roll into creation like maybe that's your new year's resolution is to like is like the slowly go into this maybe you're already in that space because you've been praying about it for a while and it's like yeah you know what it's time for day six yo like it's time to get going like stuff's been bubbling for a while and you just need to like get on the wave and like put it to action and get feet to it so maybe that's the the takeaway for as we begin this year for people, as we encourage people to begin this year is to like, is to like, like take stock of your life and ask, okay, if I'm co-creating with God, if God is up to something, if God is nudging me, winking at me, if God is, you know, uh, you know, uh, frustrated with me, like, okay, then what needs to happen now? Like, what space am I in? Do I need to sit? Do I need to get into action? Do I need to like take some time and look back and to like process why it's so hurt, so painful? Like what, what needs to happen in this new season that I'm in? 
to clarify. I've moved from thinking that like God is like, God swears with me. It's because God's frustrated at the, at the things, not the people, like the systems that harm other people. Like I think, like when I think, of, for example, we all the time talk about, well, Jesus was like, Jesus could be mad. He flipped tables. Well, I think like God was with him flipping tables. Like there's a, like we kind of separate the whole thing, but like, I think yes. that is just how God responds to the things of the world. And the invitation for us is to see it, to say that's things not right. And I, there's something I can do to change that. There is something within my power that I can do. And we, a lot of times think we don't have, like we can't, it's too big, but like small things can be the thing. There's just always something that you're invited into. You don't have to choose it, but you are certainly invited to, to participate in those change and to do something different in the world. And if you don't know what those things are, then, well, then 2022 could be your year where you find something, pay attention, look around, ask somebody. Which also takes beginnings out of just me and saying, how can I be a part of new beginnings for everyone everywhere? Um, which might mean instead of a New Year's resolution this year, I need to notice where some tables need to be flipped and co-create a new system with God. Sometimes it's about my own life. Sometimes it's actually about the world and, and being a part of like, okay, uh, if we've got the light of God in us, how can we be a part of, of something bigger at the same time? Um, not in a shame way, not in a judgment way, just in that invitation way of, okay, let's create something together. And where is God inviting us to create something together? This podcast is a partnership between 40 Orchards and Processing Faith. 40 Orchards invites people to wrestle through biblical texts using the ancient Jewish concepts of Midrash. In a 40 Orchard study, every question is safe, everyone is welcome, and every voice is valued. We believe there's room for all of us. No person and no question is off limits because we know that together we can expand each other's experience of what is sacred, whole, and good. You can learn more about 40 Orchards and sign up for a study by going to 40orchards.org. That's 40orchards.org. Processing Faith is a space created by Jason Steffenhagen for people to do exactly that, process their faith. It's not one thing, but more like a good recipe. It's like one part pastoral care, one part theological exploration, and one part wrestling with all the questions. You can learn more about Processing Faith and sign up for a free 45-minute session by going to ProcessingFaith.com. Thanks again for joining us on Searching the Safety.